All right. Well, open your Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Um, we are going to do just a re- more of a review. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter together. Um, but before we get into Romans 11, I just wanted to review real quick and uh, see if anyone had questions or whatever about the whole chapter. So what I think I'll do is I want to kind of start with the beginning, uh, kind of review the opening of the chapter, and then kind of really key in on uh, a key section that we've read probably many, many times, but one that I think would encourage us tonight. And so Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. And so if someone would do me the favor of reading that together, um, or reading that for us as we read it together, that would be awesome. And so Romans 10 and verse 1, if I got a volunteer to read. Anyone want to read verse 1 for me? What? Oh, you were giving me this, like, this kind of a look, and I was like, are you surprised I'm asking for somebody to read? Like, what? Are you shocked? What's going on? This was not a, I don't know. It It was more like a, huh? Not a, I'll read. All right. Go ahead, Keith. Thanks so much for volunteering. Yeah, just one verse. Were you guys waiting for me to say like one through something? Oh, no, just the first verse. Yep. Maybe I should have asked somebody else. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. I know. Everyone's hands are going up like, I'm not volunteering. I'm not reading. Okay, so in your notes, you're going to notice that uh, I'm, we make a comparison here. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Um, the first thing that you see is this phrase by Paul, my heart's desire. My heart's desire. And so we talked about this. He has two things he points out in this verse. My heart's desire. And then he talks about prayer. So his heart has a desire. And then there's a prayer of his heart. And what is that? You can look at your notes. Or you can look at the verse. You'll probably get it. Uh, what is the heart, his heart's desire and what is his prayer? What's that, Rick? Okay, that they might be saved. That who might be saved? The nation of Israel, right? What does this remind us of? One of the last times we met, we were actually in Romans 9, and we covered this in person. But if you go back to Romans 9 and verse 1, Romans 9 and verse 1, in verse, uh, let's see here. So verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1, it says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Verse 3, this is, the, this is what reminds us of chapter 10, verse 1, verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What do we say Paul was saying there in chapter 9, in verse 3? What was Paul kind of, what was, what was he kind of laying out there as an option? He said, I would gladly do this if I could, that they would be saved. What was he willing to do? Okay. I'm willing to cut myself off from Christ if it meant me doing that would lead to the salvation of the Jews, to Israel. We get to chapter 10. And what does chapter 10 tell us right in the very first verse? My heart's desire and my prayer is what? that the nation of Israel would come to know Christ. Remember, the Jewish people think Paul has betrayed them and in fact is leading people astray. Paul is reminding them again 
before he says things that are hard to hear, that he is driven with the desire for their salvation. Nothing Paul is saying is based in anger or animosity. It is purely his love for them. This is so key. In chapter 9, he starts off by saying what? In the first couple verses, I'm not lying. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. The reason I'm telling you all this is because I love you and I want you to know Christ. He had to kind of express that to them. I'm not, there's no bitterness here. There's no other reason that I'm saying this. Then you get to chapter 10 and he says, listen, my heart's desire. When you hear heart's desire and prayer, you hear those words and you think of someone expressing that. And I hope I can say this in a way that makes sense. What do you think of physically when you hear someone say my heart's desire and prayer? Like are there any physical pictures of that person that come to mind when they're expressing that. Okay, passionate. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, laying on the ground, weeping. Okay, that's kind of what I'm going for to get us to think about what Paul might have looked like as he was penning these words, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing these things, what is he, what is he expressing physically? Anything else come to your mind in that regard? Weeping, like just laying out before God, passion. Okay, hands raised, because he's actually saying, I'm praying for this, right? I'm, I'm beseeching God for this. When we think about Jesus' prayer in the garden, what do we, what do we get a little, a little snapshot of physically? What, what's going on there? What does Luke tell us begins to happen physically with Christ while he's praying? He's in the garden He's praying. Some have said this is an illustration of what his passion looked like, but some have said it's actually a physical thing that's happening here. It's literal. He's starting to sweat droplets of blood. Why is that? Why was he sweating blood? What was, what was he praying about? Okay. That he wouldn't have to die on the cross? What is he supposed to this cup pass for me? What's the cup? What's the cup that Christ drank? Yeah, the cross, the crucifixion, the, the whole of it. And he's saying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he's just broken and he's just crying out to God. And I see Paul, he's saying, man, my heart's desire is this. I just want them to be saved. He's lamenting over them. In your notes, I pointed this out there, that Jews did not believe they needed to be saved spiritually because after all, they were God's special chosen people. Paul, however, just explained in chapter 9 that just because you are of the nation doesn't mean you are a member of God's family. The Jews would think the Gentiles needed to be redeemed or saved, but not them. Jesus in the gospel points out in the parable after parable how wrong this attitude is for the Jews. Luke 15 and 18, the older brother and the Pharisee. Luke 15, what's that a story of? The prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He goes off, he just lives crazy, right? After he tells his dad, I wish you would die, just give me my money and let me leave. He goes off into the far country, he blows all his money, right? Where does he end up before he goes home? In the pig pen, right? And he looks at the food the pigs are eating and there's a famine in the land, he's so hungry, what does he say? That looks pretty good. I'd eat that. Then it dawns on him that his, ser- his dad's servants have more food than he has. So he has this moment of repentance and realization. One of the greatest phrases in that whole story is, and he came to himself. You know what that means? He snapped out of it. 
he kind of woke up one day and said, what am I doing? Like, I never thought I would end up here. So he goes home. We know the story. What does the dad do? He runs out and hugs him. Before the, the, the young man even gets home, the dad meets him right on the way. Then what does the dad do? Throws a feast, big party, big celebration. Everyone's loving it. Everyone's celebrating. Oh, we're rejoicing. Look, my lost son has come home. How's the older brother respond? Jealous, yeah? What's the older brother actually say to his dad? I've been here the whole time. I've done everything you've ever asked. Where's my party, right? He left and you're throwing him a party? Do you know who the older brother is? And we talked about this. It's the nation of Israel. Jesus come, comes and is redeeming law, the lost one, the Gentiles. They're coming to Christ in droves. People are coming to know Christ. And the Jews are going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been here. We've been faithful. Look, we've been faithful. Where's our celebration? Where's our party? Lavish us with all this praise. And it's amazing to me, time after time after time, Jesus in the Gospels, God's Word reminds us, it's not about national position. It's about the heart. It's not about who you are as far as nationally speaking. It's about the heart. Wiersbe says this in your notes, and I put this in here because I love this. Israel would have been happy for political salvation from Rome, but she did not feel she needed spiritual salvation from her own sin. I think Israel would have welcomed political salvation. Wasn't that what they wanted Jesus to do? Get rid of these Romans and let's, let's get this thing going. But they didn't realize their need for a Savior. All right, so in Romans 10, we're going to jump through. We're not going to read it for time's sake. This is a review after all. Um, and so verses 2 through 5, we see the rejection of Christ by Israel. Uh, Paul gets into some pretty deep stuff here as far as kind of calling them out on their rejection. Basically saying that in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Um, Christ completed, fulfilled the law, and now we do not look to the law to be righteous. We look to Christ to make us righteous, right? In verse 4, I'll read it real quick. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. This is powerful. Not just to the Jews, but to everyone who believes. What does this sound like? It's going to sound like a verse we're going to read in a little bit in verse 13, right? For whosoever. So we see here the rejection of Israel. Um, and I encourage you guys to read that in the notes there and study that on your own. Verses 6 through 13, we see the offer of faith. The offer of faith extended to them. Uh, in this part of the passage, we see Paul quotes Deuteronomy 30. Basically, he's telling them, listen, if you could keep the law perfect, excuse me, perfectly, that's not what we're asking you to do because it's a heart issue. It's not just an outward uh, keeping of the law. It's an inward keeping of the law. So he uses those examples there in your notes. You'll see that. But then in verses 14 through 17, this is where I want to kind of spend the rest of our time together. Uh, verses 14 through 17, we see the opportunity to hear. The opportunity to hear. And so uh, go ahead and, and if you're not there, get there. And we're going to read these verses together. So Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. Can I get a volunteer to read those verses? Verses 14 through 17. With a defin definitely a held-up hand, not a half-hearted hand. Okay. Renee, awesome. Yeah, not the, huh, look, but yeah.
Okay. So this is kind of a common passage that we might use part of this in, um, just before this actually, verses 9 through 13, we see that as part of the Romans road. Then he kind of expounds on that, right? Because what does 13 say? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then he moves into this explanation of what does that look like? Paul carries out a very logical thought in these couple of verses. The amazing gift of God through Christ is forgiveness of sins and redemption from hell for eternity by placing our faith and trust in Christ. The problem is people don't know that it's available. The gospel is an amazing gift, amen? There's no greater news on planet earth. What did they say when Jesus was born? This is good news for all people. This is good tidings. These are, this is great news. And it's not just for you, Israel. It's for all people because it's the message of eternal redemption. The problem is not the gospel, right? Uh, is the gospel sufficient to save anyone? Yes or no? Okay, why is that? Why is the gospel sufficient to save anyone? It's not a trick question. Okay, the death on the cross was sufficient in meeting the sacrifice that was required. Sandra, what were you going to say? Oh, okay. Is that, is that why? Is that the only reason why? <laughs> okay, because God is sufficient. Okay. Here's what I'm, it's, it's, it is the death on the cross, right? It's also the sinless life that he lived, right? It's the virgin birth. It's the resurrection, right? It's the fact that he was the God-man that came to seek and to save. That's what, that was what was lost. What's the point? It's, it's sufficient to save anyone because it doesn't really matter. That, or it doesn't really, we're not the ones doing it. That's what I'm getting at. It doesn't matter what sin I've committed because I'm not the one saving myself. It's sufficient because God is the one doing it. He did everything that was necessary. So the gospel is sufficient. The gospel meets everything that is required to save someone. The problem then is not in the gospel. It's in the communication of the gospel. It's in making that known. That's the problem. Because there are people who don't know. The gospel is sufficient to save anyone. But it's on us, the church, the body of Christ, to make that gospel known so that someone could be saved. And that's what Paul's kind of building here. He tells this beautiful point, this beautiful message in verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's amazing news. But it really isn't good news unless it's delivered, unless it's communicated. And that's Paul's kind of emphasis here. Remember, Paul is addressing the Jews and wanting them to see their need for salvation as well as how to be saved. So this whole point, remember up to this point, and I encourage you to read it again if you didn't get a chance to, Paul is establishing you had a, this option to be saved, to receive Christ. You rejected it. it this is, you need to be saved, and here's how you are saved. What he says needs to happen between verses 14 and 17. These are kind of the steps that need to take to be saved. And to be honest, it is exactly the same today. 
It's the same process today of how we come to know Christ is the same way that they came to know Christ. And this is what he does for the Jews. This is what he's doing for them. So I just want to point this out. He's showing them. He's telling them. He's delivering it to them. He's living it out before them. Verse 14 through 17. What's the first thing we see in verse 14? How then shall they call? And this is in your notes. How shall they call? This idea of calling is a sinner crying out to God for forgiveness or repentance. This was actually an identifying mark of the believers or the followers of Christ. And I don't know if I put that in your notes. Is that in there? That statement with Acts 9, 14 reference? Is that there under called? Okay. Um, you can jot that down. This idea of call, this, a sinner crying out to God for forgiveness and repentance. This was actually this term, the called, the ones who have called out to God. That's how they were identified in the early church. Um, Acts chapter 9 and verse 14. If I can get a volunteer to read that, just to kind of show you where I'm getting that from. Acts chapter 9 and verse 14. Remember, this is early on in the church. Go ahead, Lance. Okay, that call on thy name. This is, a, this is a phrase that is used in the early church to symbolize or to speak of their professing faith. He didn't say, I'm going after Christians, right? The term's not even being used yet. How were those who called on the name of Christ identified? They weren't any better than anyone else. When they looked at them and said, well, you, you've professed a call on the name of Christ for forgiveness of sins. That's how we're going to identify you. You've called out to him. And I love that because when I think of the word called and to call out, I think of someone just crying out, asking and, and receiving forgiveness, just expressing their hearts. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture to call out as a sinner and receive an answer from Christ. So the next thing we see is after the word call, we see the word believe. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not Believed, And so what are we believing in? We just kind of express this. What are we believing in? The gospel, right? The gospel is what we're putting our faith in. An act of the heart through faith. I'll give you a couple examples here. Romans 10, 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 1 through 9 is kind of the picture of the gospel. It lays out the different steps. And so what are we believing in? Well, I call out to Christ believing in the gospel. My belief in the gospel has led me to calling out, is what Paul is getting at. What's the next word we see here? In your notes, you can say it, you can see it. Uh, heard. So heard. Look at the verse there. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? The gospel must be preached to them with words. Now that seems kind of common sense, right? I don't think anyone here is like, oh, wow, that's, that's profound. I've got to use words. What's the other way that's kind of popular right now that people think is equally effective to lead people to Christ? I don't need to use my words. I can just do this. Okay, just, it's called lifestyle evangelism is what it's considered. Now, let's just kind of get this out of the way. Should believers live differently than the world? Should we live in a way that honors and pleases God? These are easy. We all know this, right? Apparently, Sandra's only one answer, but that's fine. We all know this to be true, okay? 
We all know we're supposed to live differently. We all know we're supposed to live in a way that honors him. But that knowledge of living that way might spark a conversation, might cause someone at work to go, man, you don't really act like so-and-so. You know what? This happened at work, and you didn't seem to really freak out about it like everyone else was. Why, where, where's this peace coming from? Why do you seem calm when everyone else is freaking out? Why do you seem to just kind of have this attitude about you where you just live every day and enjoy it? Like, it's not fake either. You really do enjoy life. What's with this? Yeah, that might happen. But that knowledge from that individual, just knowing that, is that going to save them? Is that going to redeem them? Is that going to forgive their sins? No, of course not. So what do we do? We take that conversation and we lead them to Christ. We use our words. Without actually saying the words of the gospel, we may actually cause someone to walk away from an interaction with us, making them believe that it's all about religious morality, not grace-based salvation. If you just live in a good way and you don't put Christ in that, and they think you're just a good moral person, and they walk away thinking, man, that person's really moral. I want to be like them. Then you're just giving them religion. They're just going to try to live this religious morality instead of understanding that Christ makes that change in us. So call, believe, heard, preacher. That's the next phrase here, preacher. This is merely the one preaching the gospel, a proclaimer. This is not the position or office of pastor or preacher, teacher. This is a a term used to one who is proclaiming truth, proclaiming a message. This is anyone that is preaching or sharing the gospel. And then the next word here we see is the word sent. So it says here in verse 14, uh, who then heard, how shall they hear without a preacher? And then how shall they preach except they be sent? How shall they preach except they be sent? The proclaimer must be sent out to those who need to hear. Let me just ask you a question real quick. Is any of this groundbreaking? Does any of this just strike you as really off the wall? It all makes sense. Okay, if someone's going to go preach, someone's got to send that person to preach. Otherwise, the preacher has all the desire in the world, but they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. Can I just go? Can I just leave and, and start doing this thing? To be honest, this is why we say that we send out missionaries or that a missionary has a sending church. They're sending this person out to do this work. The truth is we all, as believers, are sent out by Christ. What is the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I was going to ask a question in that sense. As sure. To, is that when we started talking about the church? If that was the church that was doing the sending or the Holy Spirit that was working yeah. lives, or both? So I would say both. And here's why I would say that. When Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the church of Antioch, who, who chose Paul and Barnabas as missionaries? The church or the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit said, separate out for me, right? The Spirit made that known. Now we know it's ultimately God, right? God is working this. But the Spirit was the one that communicated the truth, okay? But then the church sends out Paul and Barnabas, so here's what I would say today. Now, by the way, um, we use that as an example, but I would suggest that specific form of calling does not happen today. Here's why I say that. I think the Spirit of God 
had a special calling over Paul and Barnabas because of who Paul was going to be in communicating and writing the word of God as an apostle. So I see, I don't, I don't think I can use that and say, okay, everyone who says they're called went through that same process. You get what I'm saying? What I mean is this. Some people might say, well, I would go be a missionary, but the Holy Spirit has never spoken to me or told the church I'm supposed to be a missionary. That's never happened. So I'm good. I don't need to go. The difference would be, I think, that that's a very unique thing. But I think the principle we can borrow from, the point is the Spirit of God works in that way, and then the church agrees with what God is doing and then sends the person out. So how would this look today? Someone in our church, which, by the way, I pray this happens someday very, very soon. I, I pray it all the time, but I pray it will happen soon. Someone in our church says, man, I feel as though, I believe as though, I've been led as though God is, is calling me to be a missionary to uh, England. Okay, I just picked a random country. I, just, I, don't, I can't explain it. It's all I think about. I have this burning passion for I just want to go and preach the gospel in that nation. Or they would say something like this. I believe God wants me to go preach the word of God, but I have no idea where or to who. And so usually it's more like that. Every now and then somebody says, I have a specific nation in mind. They come to me and say, what do I do? We're going to pray about this. I encourage them, get out and do something. Go, maybe you go, and now some people say, well, I believe God wants me to preach in the church. Okay, well, let's talk about that. But if somebody says, man, I feel like I need to go overseas. My first thing I encourage them to do is go on a trip as soon as you possibly can and see what God is going to do. If somebody comes to me with this desire, this belief, they believe they want to do this, they obviously, we're talking, they're spiritually mature, they meet all these qualities, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do whatever I can to send them overseas and help them get overseas. Why? Because I want to agree with what God is doing in their life. Does that make sense? And so I would say it's a mixture of both. I think it's an inward leading of God's spirit in our own lives. Because what does uh, Timothy say? If any man desire the office of a bishop, so there's an inward desire on behalf of the individual. I want to do this thing. I believe that's coming from God. Then the church in agreement with that says, we're going to send you out. But I think the bigger picture is we actually were all as believers have been sent out into the world through the Great Commission, right? And what is the Great Commission? To make Christ known basically to the whole world. So here, this idea of sending out, and actually the uh, apostles— the word apostle actually means sent out one. Sent out one. And didn't we see Jesus do this even in the Gospels? Remember, he sent the disciples out. He sent them out, and they came back with a report. Uh, we see Paul and Barnabas being sent out, and then they come back to Jerusalem, and they give a report of what God is doing. And so this sending out is both in the sense of the local church doing this through missions, but it's also on the grander scale, all believers— have been sent out by Christ into our area of influence, to our communities, into our neighborhoods. So at Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20, we see that being the Great Commission. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, basically being sent out again to be witnesses. And I want to point out here that again, note that Paul understood this process when he was sent out from the church at Antioch to preach the gospel to all that would hear and believe. And that belief results in a call. Paul instantly, when he was sent out, began doing this very thing, right? He was sent out, and what did he do when he was sent out? Everywhere he went, what did he do? When he was sent to this city, or he went to that city, he went over here, what did he do when he, when he got there? He preached the gospel. Where did he go first, in most cases? Went to the synagogue, and then he went out to the Gentiles. 
but he preached the gospel. And then what happened as a result of that preaching the gospel? What happens as you read the book of Acts? What are people doing? They're hearing the message of the cross. They're hearing the message of Christ. So then what happens? They believe. They put their faith and trust in Christ. Then, as a result, they call out to Christ. So Paul was putting into practice exactly what he's telling the Jewish people. Hey, this is what you need to do, and this is what I've been doing my whole ministry. This is what I'm going to continue to do as the day the Lord calls me to, be, to go home. And I believe this is what we all did. Somebody was sent to you. They may have not realized the full picture. You may not have realized the full picture. They preached the gospel to you, right? Maybe at a junior church class, maybe at a VBS, maybe at a Sunday morning service. You heard the gospel. What happens when we hear the gospel? What does the Spirit of God begin to do? I hear the gospel. I take it in. What's the Spirit of God doing in that moment? He's working in my heart. He's pricking my heart. He's, what, he's convicting me of sin and righteousness. I allow God's spirit to open my heart and mind as I'm hearing this truth. I make a decision to receive Christ. And as I believe that it's true, the gospel is true, I call out to him. Now that calling out may be an audible prayer. It may be a cry of the heart. I believe personally that if our hearts are converted, there will be an audible expression of that faith. I don't think it means I have to pray a sinner's prayer per se. But I think that if I really believe and confess in my heart, I believe my mouth will make that confession known. And so I wanted to spend some time on this tonight because I think this is important. And so here's the thing. We've all done this when we received Christ. We heard, so we believed, and we called on the name of the Lord. But I believe we've all been sent to do this very thing. So my challenge just tonight is where are we being sent? Like where have you been sent to do this thing? Some of you may feel overseas is where you need to be. Some of you feel in the local church, maybe you feel like I've been sent to my workplace. I've been sent to my family. I've been sent to my community. I've been sent to whatever area you find yourself, by the way, is where you're sent. That's the point. We don't have to wait till we get overseas to do missions work. And so we as a church, I as a pastor, want to do whatever I can. And I know I'm not always good at this. I need to be much better at, at encouraging young believers or even older believers to say, hey, they want to do this or that, and then give them opportunity to let them do what they need to do and what God is leading them to do. But we've all been sent to where we find ourselves right now. So let's make the most of it and preach the gospel so that someone may hear, believe, and receive Christ by calling on to him. So I want to spend some time on that tonight. Um, I encourage you, look at your notes through the rest of the chapter, obviously. Um, there's some more information in there and understand what that looks like. Um, Romans 11, we're going to get into. Uh, my plan is next week. And uh, so that's the goal right now is to get into Romans 11 next week. But look at the notes. Uh, we get, I spend more time through the rest of the chapter talking about the results or the, yeah, the results of the rejection of Israel, what comes of that, um, how God's grace is, you know, evident through the whole chapter. And one thing I want to point out is in Romans 9, we see kind of the sovereignty of God on display. We see all this beautiful language about the sovereignty and the, the authority that God has over hum humanity and mankind. In Romans 10, we see our responsibility to that sovereignty. And for a long time, Christians have debated, is it, is it sovereignty or is it free will? Or is it free will or is it sovereignty? And the beauty in the Bible is it's both. God is very sovereign because he's God, but we have responsibility. And that's why I love that Paul in chapters 9 and 10 take those two points and kind of 
beautifully weave them together for us to see, yes, God is fully sovereign, but I am asked to put my faith and trust in Christ and to call on him. And so it's amazing how Paul brings these two seemingly very complicated issues together in, in, in a really cool way in just two chapters. And so um, just want to encourage you guys, look at the rest of Romans 10 and check that out. So um, does anyone have any questions, comments, or thoughts before we dismiss and close in prayer? I know I was kind of all over the place tonight with Romans 10, but I just wanted to get into that a little bit and review. Any questions, comments, or thoughts? All right. Uh, while I'm thinking about missions, because this was just on my mind with tonight, um, I am in a, kind of the process of reaching out to uh, uh, Brother Tika about that missions trip that we were considering for, it would have been next year. Um, I don't know yet. We have no idea, obviously, with what's going on, what, what they're doing, what we're going to allow to do. Um, and so as soon as I know more, I'll let you know. Uh, but right now, my initial gut reaction is we, we obviously might have to postpone that. Uh, to be able to raise funds and all of that. Um, but uh, I'm still kind of looking into what we need to do, and we'll let you guys know as soon as he lets me know what he wants us to do because um, I don't know what they're doing over there or where they're at right now in the Philippines in all of that situation. So, uh, But be praying for that if you are interested in that. I'm very much still interested in that. We will do the trip. It's just a matter with all this stuff going on, what, how that's going to affect that is what I'm, I'm kind of getting at. Any comments, questions, or thoughts? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Ask God to bless the rest of our night and uh, our time together. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for the gift that you give us that we were able to hear the gospel preached. Lord, I know for everyone in this room, it was a different time, or I was at different times and different settings. Uh, maybe some were uh, in college. Maybe some were uh, kids in junior church or VBS. Uh, Lord, it's just amazing how the gospel can be communicated in so many ways. So, Father, first of all, thank you for making it known to us. Thank you for giving us your word, which uh, contains the gospel message that we're able to preach the gospel to those in need. We don't have to try to guess or come up with the answer. Uh, it's right there before us, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Father, I pray that you'd help us to know that you are sending us out, Lord. We don't have to go to an overseas mission field to realize we're in a mission field right now. And so, Father, as we des desire to live this life for you, this one life that you give us, I pray that we would realize that we've been sent out with a message, that others may hear that message, believe on the gospel, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, actually believe and put their faith and trust in you, and then call out to you for salvation. It's amazing that you send us out. Lord, if we were sitting down and trying to figure out the best way to communicate the gospel to those in need, we would not pick us to do the communicating. We would come up with a, a totally different plan. But you choose in your sovereign wisdom to use imperfect people, clay pots, and you desire to fill us with your gospel and then let that gospel shine through us into the lives of those around us that we could communicate with words, the gospel truth, and that somebody could come to know Christ. Father, may we know that although our role in evangelism is important because we need to be uh, active in pursuing those that are lost and sharing the message of the gospel, I pray that we would know that you do the saving. That while we 
share the word of God, you, by the working of your Holy Spirit, convict. You are the one that opens eyes, open hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel so that they may believe. And so I pray that we would never forget that, that while it's important that we share the gospel, we would know that we do not convert anyone. You do that work. And so, Father, I pray that you would just watch over us, be with us this week. Thank you for all that you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Pray you just have a great, great week. And we'll see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock.